0: Hi, this is DebtWire Managing Editor, Andrew Ragsley, and you're listening to episode nine of our DebtWired series. You're about to hear Deputy Editor, Reshmi Basu's conversation with Michael J. Haas. Michael is the global co-chair of the real estate practice and partner in the New York office of Latham & Watkins. Michael's clients include asset managers, real estate companies, and PE firms working on complex real estate transactions including mergers, acquisitions, dispositions, joint ventures, financings, workouts, and restructurings. In this conversation, Michael and Reshmi go over how the pandemic has changed real estate investor behavior patterns and market dynamics, such as uptick in CMBS special servicing, and a trend that favors preferred equity financing over mezzanine deals.
1: Michael, thank you for being here today. Can you give us an overview of the current state of the real estate market? There doesn't appear to be much distressed at the moment, minus a few situations. What is driving the lack of distressed?
2: Rashmi, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. It's a great question. So an overview of the current state of the real estate market. I would say COVID has picked its winners and losers. It has um, accelerated certain segments of the real estate towards a decline and others have uh, accelerated in a positive direction. We've all been in our homes for the past year and it feels like we've been locked up for a decade already. And so um, our time perspective has been distorted and so the reason that there hasn't been a, a ton of distress is because it takes time for it to work through the system. So if you look as a, at a point of reference, which was the Great Financial Crisis in 08 and 09, it took a couple of years for the distress to work through. In this situation, there's been an accelerant in terms of COVID. We've seen certain segments, hospitality, retail, impacted in a greater way, and Clearly, we could talk about the, you know, how forbearance has come into play, how the lenders have been working with borrowers, but it's going to take time and the runway starting to run out on these assets for them to work through the system for the distress to come out.
1: How would you describe the CMBS market? What happened in 2020? And do you expect to see volatility in the asset class in 2021?
2: The current CMBS market is still active in terms of providing new financing. It is clearly an asset by asset category market, particularly we're seeing activity in multifamily, we're seeing activity in industrial logistics, we're seeing activity, uh, anything that sort of surrounds e-commerce. How is that market and how did that market react in 2020? We saw, a tremendous amount of acceleration of assets being sent to special servicing at a much greater pace than we saw during the great financial crisis. Special servicers are sitting on a number, a large number of assets uh, that will need to work their way through the system. The volatility, I think what you'll see is to the extent that CMBS comes back and will provide financing for retail and hotels. And you, you are starting to see some hotels being put into CMBS again. I think the spreads will widen on those. But um, the, the real question is, what is going to happen with the assets that have gone into special servicing and are currently either under forbearance arrangements or are just with the special servicer? And we'll, we'll have to see how those work through the system, as we talked before, it's just going to take a little bit of time, but they will be working through the system.
1: What challenges are special servicers then facing, and have you seen the borough give up and just hand over the keys?
2: We are starting to see assets being transferred back to the special servicer, the hand back the keys uh, scenario. There were so many forbearance arrangements that were in, that were entered into, and those arrangements are starting to come to an end. And the longer that the COVID disruption exists, the likelihood of those properties being able to come out of forbearance and go back into a scenario where they are performing will the likelihood of that happening it becomes less and less. And you know what, what will happen is the special servicers are probably overwhelmed at this moment in time with the amount of assets that they have to address and uh, you know over time those assets will either be returned back to the special servicer the good assets i believe will eventually work themselves through the system either through additional equity requirements that'll be mandated by the special servicer you'll see you know extensions of forbearance agreements with Again, probably additional equity being required, but those again will be for really prized assets. The other ones, you know, that will create the distress that you asked me about before and the and buying opportunities.
1: What about the amend and pretend strategy? What are the longer term ramifications for the market, in particular for hotels and retail centers who have been hurt during the pandemic?
2: So, amend and pretend only works so long, and at some point everything the, the reckoning has to happen and so the concern around amendment for 10 is if the runway runs out for a large number of these assets at the same time will they all come on flood to the market and cause uh, further price disruption for performing assets uh, and devalue those and you know the question is you know if, if all these assets come on at the same time uh, will there be an ability for the recovery will will the recovery be muted in terms of price recovery so if there's a ton of product that comes on the market there's a lot of money on the sidelines chasing assets so it may not be an issue but i'm just concerned if if the market's flooded with now performing assets what it will do to pricing
1: what about financing in the real estate market How were companies able to shore up their balance sheet?
2: Your question to me is twofold. How were the companies that were able to access public debt able to perform in 2020 and the ability to access the public markets? And then the other would be the private companies and what they were or were not able to do. So in 2020, because the capital markets were efficient and working, most of the publicly traded REITs were able to access debt, and we're able to show up their balance sheets really for the next couple of years and they're in great shape and i anticipate going forward there'll still be a market for to the extent ones that need to refinance or, or access debt there'll still be a market for that in terms of the private markets and for assets that were financed on a one-off basis there really wasn't much for them to be able to do for those companies that you know have lines of credit that they were able to tap and access. Some of those did do that as well to shore up their balance sheet, but much differently than the public's.
1: Who is in the driver's seat in negotiations, given how much capital is out there? The company or lenders who need to be putting money to work?
2: At the end of the day, there's sort of two parts to your question that I think need to be addressed. So for the, for the sponsors out there that have great assets, that are currently in need of new capital, to a certain degree, even if they are experiencing some distress because of the amount of capital that is on the sidelines, what we have seen so far are very sponsor-friendly terms because of the competition looking for distressed opportunities. At the end of the day, the lenders are always in the driving seat, in the driver's seat rather, but they don't wanna take back assets. They'd rather figure out a solution. And so they're sort of always in the background. And from my perspective, at least, if if it doesn't seem as though there is a, a viable solution, and in this case, the longer COVID goes on uh, and it impacts and disrupts people from working in their offices and going back to some normalcy, Ultimately, the lenders are in the ones that have the greatest control.
1: Why are we seeing more deals with a preferred equity component versus mezzanine debt?
2: The reason you're seeing more preferred equity currently is, number one, in terms of what we would call rescue capital, preferred equity is able to come in to the capital structure. Oftentimes, the existing debt prohibits any new debt being placed on the asset. So that would preclude mezz financing preferred equity could come in. It's able to often, depending on, on the asset, depending if it's done at a platform level, there's often an opportunity for the preferred equity to get a seat at the table. So it could help with the strategy of the asset or the platform that it's investing in. Uh, depending again on if that, if that preferred equity comes in at the platform or at the asset level, there's oftentimes a recognition agreement that's negotiated between the preferred equity and the lender. So if things really go sideways, there's an opportunity for the preferred equity to um, have some advanced notice and to potentially provide some solutions. It's just, it's a very flexible hybrid way of approaching some of these assets in a way that comports with existing debt and gives the preferred equity visibility into the asset of the platform in a way that sometimes mezz cannot Provide on the other hand, unlike MES, which is a secured interest, preferred equity is 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 equity, and you know not not in a secured uh, position.
1: And is there a sense of how changes in consumer behavior will impact real estate?
2: I think that's the uh, biggest question that's out there. There's no doubt that some of the behavioral trends that have started and we're starting before COVID are going to be here for the long-term in terms of what that looks like long-term. And for instance, how that impacts office behavior in terms of where we live. I don't think anyone really knows. There's clearly going to be a short-term effect and long-term, I think you'll see the way particularly in the office space, how offices are used and the requirements for people to be in the office, there will be definitely some changes uh, on the edges.
1: And where are valuations going? Has the pandemic changed the analysis model?
2: Definitely. So, well, the pandemic coupled with very low interest rates have definitely changed valuations. And again, as I said earlier, COVID has picked the winners and the losers. So if you are in the industrial logistics space, if you are in the multifamily space, if you are in life sciences, if you are in cell towers or data centers, you are you know sitting on assets that have appreciated greatly in value, and there's strong demand. And because of the low interest rate environment that we're in, and the ability to finance those assets, the values have gone up significantly on those assets. If you are sitting on hotel portfolios or office portfolios, um, those values have definitely been impacted, uh, clearly in the hospitality space more than anything. And then retail as well. We've seen issues across the retail spectrum. However, if you're sitting on assets that are grocery anchored or similar type anchored shopping centers, those assets have largely performed well and have retained their value.
1: What are your projections for 2021, especially as we've seen some investors in shopping centers face liquidity issues?
2: I believe that 2021 is going to be a year that we'll see a lot of real estate activity. It's going to be a mixture of distressed and regular way. The distressed will come in the retail and the hospitality space. There's a tremendous amount of capital on the sidelines right now. It will be interesting to see how that will impact pricing and what what impact it will have in terms of valuations, particularly if there's competition um, uh, for these types of assets. If you happen to be in the multifamily, industrial logistics, life sciences, um, anything around e-commerce, I think that that will continue to be a robust, active market. Um, that will, you know, continue throughout 2021.
1: Michael, thank you so much for all the great insight into the real estate market. And thank you for being
0: here with us.
2: Thank you for inviting me. It was wonderful speaking with you today.
0: Thank you for listening to Wired. Please be sure to engage with our content with a like, share, leave a comment or repost and follow Wired on social media.